live in a dangerous and unpredictable world. Markets turn and economies crash without warning. Staying ahead of the investment game is more difficult than ever. Join me, Alameen Templeton, every day between 7 and 8 p.m. on Business Matters for concise news and analysis of important events that are shaping the world, your life, and your pocket. You snooze, you lose. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to another edition of Business Matters with me, your host, Alameen Templeton. On this wonderful Freedom Day, well, it's a sad day, 1961, Sharpville, Langa. You had uh, 1985, Langa, and, uh, and it was the township outside Port Elizabeth, uh, Utenhague, where massacres happened on the same day as people were holding marches commemorating Sharpville, 1961. Well, uh, hopefully those days are behind us. Marikana 2012, however, was a somber reminder <clears throat> that things in our beautiful nation can still go wrong. Well, while all of you have been at home uh, celebrating, uh, celebrating this day, or maybe just taking it easy, We've been here trying to figure out what we're going to tell you about business on a day when the Johannesburg Stock Exchange is closed and uh, where most traders and businessmen are not really doing much business unless it's like, you know, taking a wife to the, uh, to the shops, something like that. Well, um, <clears throat> Goldman Sachs is warning that s severe planned power cuts in uh, South Africa are expected to shave 0.3 percentage points or first quarter GDP growth. Uh, South Africa has suffered from some of the worst power cuts in several years, presenting President Cyril Ramaphosa with a major challenge two months before the election, May 8th, at which he will try to reverse a decline in voter support for the ANC. Two years ago, we had local elections, and for the first time, the Democratic Alliance one in major cities, Durban, Johannesburg, Pretoria, all fell to the Democratic Alliance administrations. And now we find ourselves <clears throat> going into an election in this year, national election for uh, parliament, not just for uh, local municipalities, also for regional uh, and provincial elections. Uh, and, uh, yeah, a lot more is at stake. People are saying uh, low turnout in the local elections is probably an explanation of why the DA did so well. But I think it runs deeper than that. There is a lot of dissatisfaction uh, with how the ANC has managed the economy. All these stories of corruption that keep on popping up are really... Uh, making it very difficult for people to maintain the line as uh, President Ramaphosa has asked ANC supporters to do. Well, uh, a dearth of good choice in a Western political party system where political parties are just like uh, corporations, artificial personalities that don't really exist, legal fictions, a mask... I mean, it gives it gives everyone something uh, neutral, I suppose you could say, to rally around. It gives uh, people a common a common uh, calling card, I suppose you could say. Uh, but it also provides a mask for people who want to use uh, use it to get 
well, to chase vested interests behind the screen, I suppose. We see political parties and the whole entire Western political system is uh, really uh, starting to come apart at the seams. There has still been no proper systemic response, I suppose you could call it, to the 2008 uh, credit crunch. Growth continues to be very weak in Europe and the United States. Growth is declining in mainland China. uh, And all of the world's major economies are basically on life support. Whether you want to admit it or not, whether you want to claim that uh, World Trade Organization trade talks between the United States and China are the most important uh, trade topic on the international agenda, or whether smaller nations should be uh, demanding that America and the European Union, Japan and China, who've all invested uh, trillions of dollars in their their bond and stock markets uh, since that dramatic collapse in 2008, Um, that's time they started paying it back. It's time uh, they stopped giving uh, artificial uh, stimulus to their economies, giving them an unfair advantage in terms of trade and and all other kinds of economic activities against smaller economies and other economies around the world. How can we say that this is a fair trading environment when uh, European, American, Chinese and Japanese economies um, have uh, are basically been allowed to to print money, uh, to conjure it up out of nowhere, to flood it into their bond markets, to stimulate their stock exchange values, and to give an artificial face to the world again, another mask, another mask, another veil, another veil to hide corruption, another veil to hide illegality. Another veil to hide the vested interests and, most importantly, the actual identities of the people behind behind some of the big evils that are rocking our world at the moment. The credit crunch, America has been able, un, unable to live on, on normal growth, uh, and you could say that has been the case since uh, the Alan Greenspan years in, in the late 1990s. So that's... Uh, 25 years of uh, artificial of artificial stimulus the United States has been, been enjoying and and Europe is in a very similar boat Chinese um, growth which for many years was above 10 percent is now struggling to maintain the six percent growth rate on an annualized basis and uh, well <clears throat> we can't say that South Africa has not enjoyed any of this largesse. We've seen, we were speaking about it yesterday, all of these big uh, financial inflows into the Johannesburg Stock Exchange has inflated values far beyond uh, any kind of imaginings, you could say, 10 years ago. Um, 10, 15 years ago, I suppose you could say. 2010, uh, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange had retraced all of its gains that it made as a result of the carry trade, easy money coming into the uh, coming into the exchange. Uh, I think when the uh, when the stock exchange fell, it was around about 44, 45,000 in 2008, and it fell back to its pre-carry trade levels, which were around about 17 or 18,000. Uh, that's you know we'd probably be on a 23, 24,000. Uh, if we had only really relied on organic growth to lift our stock exchange valuations. 
I wonder what the valuations would look like um, compared to Naspers, uh inflated as it is by that um, huge big uh, shareholding in ten cents, uh, as well as the proceeds it got from its sale recently. Um, what would the stock exchange look uh, without that? Uh, we've seen big counters moving across to the London Stock Exchange in the 1990s. And uh, South Africa has been looking like a rather sad kind of second cousin to its former self. Uh, stock exchange, the JSE, used to be the JSE, it's now the FTSE JSE, it's taken over by the Financial Times Stock Exchange Index, uh, that's the uh, the acronym for FTSE, uh, or rather FTSE is the acronym for that. Um, yeah, the London Stock Exchange, uh, which is buying up stock exchanges all around the world. Um, I wonder if our competition authorities should be looking, should be re-examining uh, the FTSE's ownership of the JSE in the light of all of the other stock exchange purchases uh, that it has made in recent years. Um, it's a it's an important issue. I mean, uh, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange is, to be, is supposed to be an accurate reflection of value and economic health in our country. Uh, and whether or not it is, given all of uh, the funny money flowing into it, given uh, its change in ownership, well, uh, yeah, it's probably something just like everything else in our economy. It needs some kind of uh, of treatment and and maintenance, like uh, yeah, the stock Escom uh, power stations also having to go. Well, in fact, they haven't been going down, and they've been breaking down. Uh, and it's 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 strange. Um, I mean, there were many warnings uh, to the government in the lead up to uh, the the blackout period that started in two thousand eight as well. Uh, the warnings went unheard, and now we are all supposed to be pulling together. Why weren't we pulling together before? I'd like to know. Um, Jeff Khadebe is now starting to talk about uh, the possibility of reintroducing uh, nuclear energy again. This is after Tabum Beki tried to float a, a nuclear package. Then his uh, successor, Jacob Zuma, tried to float a, a nuclear package. And now, well, true to form, um, Jacob Zuma came in and cancelled Tabum Beki's nuclear package. Silron Maposa came in and cancelled Jacob Zuma's nuclear package. Now Jeff Khadebe is standing up and he's talking about, yeah, well, you know, nuclear is also an option and it needs to be seriously considered in the light of all of the breakdowns in our ESCOM power stations that we're experiencing. I was castigated on my Facebook uh, yesterday for suggesting that, uh, well, you know, uh, when something goes wrong at a coal-fired power station, uh, we're left in the dark. But if something goes wrong at a nuclear power station, it lights up the entire sky. Um, yeah, when nuclear goes wrong, then as it as it has happened at Fukushima, as it has happened uh, at um, at uh, what is it Chernobyl in in Russia, uh, we see uh, the aging power station, nuclear power stations in Britain and Scotland that are have got cracks in pipes that are supposed to be cooling uh, the graphite core, uh, cracks in the dome, and uh, that's supposed to contain uh, the nuclear fallout uh, from the cooling rods. Uh, and now what? 
It's, a, it's not like, uh, yeah, sure, you can, you, you can have nuclear power and your nuclear power plant lasts for 45 years. Uh, but uh, the nuclear waste lasts for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Um, and if everyone starts moving on to nuclear waste, uh, the disposal of nuclear waste is likely to turn into a really major international problem. Um, the other hand, we are also considering moving on to renewable energy. Uh, there seems to be a strong drive coming from the presidency in that regard. Um, Germany has already moved across to, uh, it's more than 50% of, of its energy is now produced by renewable energy. And uh, that was thanks to uh, Germany making that decision that it was going to move completely away from nuclear after the Fukushima disaster. Yeah, well, you know, you can try and plan for all contingencies as the nuclear power plant designers try and do. But then you get these crazy situations, such as that tsunami coming in and flooding uh, Fukushima, Fukushima's uh, plant, and that knocked out the electricity that's supposed to continue pumping water to cool down uh, the nuclear rods. That didn't happen, and boom, next thing you knew, uh, Fukushima had gone up in smoke, and now they're having to pour water in there constantly. They've got more than a million tons of uh, nuclearized water, radiated water, um, contaminated water at, at, the, at the TEPCO plant there, the Fukushima plant in Japan. And uh, well, now they're saying that the best thing we can do with this is to release it into the sea. So, of course, the fishermen around there are most upset about the suggestions and you keep on seeing all of these strange kind of photographs of fish with two heads and strange eyes in strange places. They keep on popping up on the internet. And you need to ask yourself, <clears throat> what would South Africa do if we had a nuclear plant? Uh, apparently, the, there was talk about a second nuclear plant being um, built quite close to the Kuburg one. Both of them are on the coastline. Um, rising seawaters. What, 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 <clears throat> what will sea levels be looking like in 10 years' time? given all of the, um, the warnings that we keep on hearing from meteorologists and all kinds of scientists to look at the global warming issue, rising sea levels. Should we maybe, shouldn't we rather be, um, I don't know, maybe if we are going to site a nuclear power plant, maybe we should site it near the R, right in the center of the country, right in the center of the Kalahari, far away from uh, groundwater sources and so on. Uh, we don't want groundwater to be polluted. Uh, the people in Flint can probably tell you, Flint, Michigan in the United States, their water's been uh, poisoned by all kinds of industry around there. Um, it's a big uh, automotive uh, components manufacturing city. Uh, a lot of industrial activity around there. Yeah, where are we going to go here in South Africa? So anyway, Goldman Sachs says we're going to lose 0.3 percentage points of GDP. That's in the first quarter of the year. Um, in the current intensity of the plan cuts, uh, if they continue in, 20, in this year, it could subtract up to 0.9 percentage points, or even a full percentage point from our growth. If you consider that our National Treasury, which has been accused of being optimistic in its forecasts, uh, says that GDP growth for the year is supposed to be 1.7%, 1 
you take 1% away from that, we've got 0.7 of a percent. Uh, if you take uh, fuel increases, uh, food price increases, uh, plans, uh, planned uh, strikes and uh, industrial action against the breakup of ESCOM, uh, we may well be looking at uh, South Africa slipping into recession. And of course, you know, Moody's is kind of like trying to make up its mind what is it going to do with South Africa's rating. It really does kind of like make you feel rather helpless, doesn't it? Uh, ESCOM supplying more than 90% of the power in South Africa. It's not like we can just throw it away. I mean, we're going to have to replace it with something. Um, but uh, we were supposed to uh, be building Madupi and Kassili, and we're still waiting uh, three, four years after, after their deadlines uh, for them to come fully on stream. Both of them are tottering along. ESCON un unable to pay contractors are supposed to scrub the ash out of the boilers. And apparently that's causing a huge mess at the plant. Um, so Ramaphosa says we're already putting in place a number of measures making sure the energy loss that we've had from a cyclone in Mozambique should be restored. Uh, ESCOM continues to implement rolling blackouts today with 4,000 megawatts cut from the grid on a rotational basis. I don't know if you've experienced anything in your part of the woods. So far today, alhamdulillah, we haven't had to switch on our, um, on our generator. Uh, but... Oh, well, you know, South Africa's power problems, yeah, now we've got uh, these um, Izinyoga Chippo power lines leading uh, from our lampposts uh, along the road outside Sahaba here. We've got a sort of um, um, a front seat view of South Africa's um, challenging energy uh, problem. And, uh, well, we hope that ESCOM is going to be able to fix itself. We hope that the team of experts and engineers have been touring the plants with um, uh, our, our, our treasure, our um, Pravin Gordan. Uh, we're hopefully going to be able to come up with some kind of solutions. It would appear to be that uh, there hasn't been enough maintenance done in many of the plants, and uh, they've already started shutting down Hendrina there at Thunderbell Park. Uh, they've already shut down three units there. Um, <clears throat> I wonder if the people in Funnabelle Park have suddenly noticed uh, an, an increased uh, quality in the air that they're breathing. Well, where are we going to go? Allah um, Ta'ala is in control. I mean, that's one of the blessings of being a Muslim. La hawla wa la illa billah, la malja wa la manja there is no power to do good, nor ability to do evil, but that which comes from Allah. And there is no refuge from Allah, but in Allah. So, yeah, that is the ultimate answer, is it not? Well, um, illicit financial flows out of the country continue to be a headache for South Africa. Uh, we heard yesterday uh, authorities' progress in fighting against illicit financial foes uh, are progressing. They, South Africa is estimated to lose billions of rands annually due to uh, this problem. Uh, yesterday, there's a joint meeting by Parliament's Finance and Trade and Industry Committees. After briefings by the Hawks, the National Prosecuting Authority, Financial Intelligence Center, South African Revenue Service, the Reserve Bank, the Treasury, and the Department of Trade and Industry, 
They put together an interagency working group on illicit financial flows consisting of the agencies which is working on eight cases which are each set to exceed the set minimum financial threshold of 100 million rands. The total amount involved in the eight cases under investigation is well over 3.9 billion rand with 2.7 billion rand related to the transfer of illicit proceeds from rhino hall trade. That's incredible. I mean, how many rhino horns is that? That sounds like a rod of rhinos, doesn't it? And 1.2 billion rand related to the illegal export of funds overseas. Mm. I think maybe um, they really should be, uh, well, as, as I say, they should be putting people into the, they should control all mineral sales through the Reserve Bank. I think that is the best way to do it. It's a very easy way. <clears throat> of cutting down on, on illicit financial flows out of the country because then you have a very clear idea of exactly how much each miner has produced uh, and the price that is expected for that production. If all of that goes through a centralized reserve bank selling and buying agency uh, and uh, the minerals are sold in the interest of uh, the RAND and in the interest of the economy, it's sold at a rate and a price in the national interest, then, you know, we're not going to have to put together these multidisciplinary agencies uh, in order to try and, and cut down on this. And if you consider that they're only looking at eight, at eight trades, um, that's not very good, I mean, for, for such a combined effort. We heard uh, earlier in the week on Tuesday that uh, the Hawks had only managed to investigate one trade in the entire Steinhoff scandal. One trade. And they hadn't even finished that one. They said they were nearing completion. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. They said they were nearing completion, and then they discovered another 10 more. And so this was a shocking thing. Um, it's very clear from the articles that have been written about the Steinhoff debacle that there's far more than just 10 um, suspicious trades that have been made. Um, we've heard that uh, seven men uh, in the senior in the senior level at Steinhoff were were interacting with uh, fund companies in the Bahamas and uh, in all of these various uh, tax dodge uh, domiciles um, and putting together trades to try and boost uh, boost the share price and to boost um, share prices or the valuations of subsidiaries that it was thinking of hiving off. And they've been doing it for years and years and years. And now the Hawks have got in to investigate it and they say they've only been investigating one trade for the entire year. You see, uh, it would be better if you just put all of our mineral sales through the Reserve Bank, just like Russia does. Um, and, in, and isn't it strange, you know, with the, uh, with the Minerals Act, and uh, you would think that South Africans, after 24 years of democracy, uh, if we are going to be uh, saying, okay, this must be the quota the government is entitled to a certain share in the mines, well, well our, our government doesn't. Our government says it owns 100% of all, all mineral rights, and they sell these mineral rights for periods of time to to mining companies. Uh, but when those mineral rights are sold, they're sold 100%, and you know there are like empowerment conditions that must go along with it. Uh, but who in this country knows how our our um, 
local involvement or, or local ownership. Uh, and how do our local ownership rules compare to local ownership rules in Britain? And you say, Britain? I, I thought you are going to mention another African country or maybe somewhere Ecuador or somewhere in South America or perhaps uh, one of the Asian one of the Asian economies. Why do you mention Britain? Well, you know, in terms of oil, Britain uh, has a 50% shareholding guaranteed for its government. Do we have something like that in South Africa? Um, the government would keep 50% of all mining projects. We don't have that here, but you have it in Britain. Uh, in Algeria, the government demands 90%, 90%, uh, and and uh, and and that should uh, give a very good indication as to, I mean, have have we been had with our empowerment empowerment provisions for our mining sector? Have 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 we been had? Uh, shouldn't we be in actual fact saying? Every mining project has to has a 50% nationalization quota to it, just like Britain. Um, I'm trying to look up something here quickly. I've, I've got a very loud uh, microphone today, I must say. Um, I'm trying to find Oil Nigeria in my, in my article. And uh, I don't seem to be able to find it uh, because I had some I, I had some really nice figures there. Shouldn't uh, are we in actual fact uh, being going easy? Is it is like this kind of like the BEE uh, quotient? Uh, is it is it, is it, is are people in government in actual fact um, protecting their BEE stakes? <clears throat> by not fighting for a government share of of all minerals in the country, including whatever oil we may have off coast at the Brulpada oil field that was uh, discovered uh, just a few weeks ago by Total and uh, some South African partners. Just like to say it's going to be at least eight years, they say, for uh, oil from that oil field to start making its way onto the market. Still a whole lot of development that needs to be taking place there. So why is it that so few South Africans know, in actual fact, how we compare with other countries uh, that uh, that demand that uh, there must be local ownership of of all um, mineral projects in the country? Um, France does it. Norway does it. It's not like it's at some kind of crazy ANC uh, communist party kind of thing. Uh, you know, well-developed uh, capitalist economies like Britain and France have 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 local ownership uh, requirements for the mineral projects. So why is it that we don't know about those, and why is it that we don't really know what the ownership levels are in our minerals in our minerals policy? It's like the ANC is uh, demanding that you have to have a BEE shareholding. You see, uh, of of other companies that are BEE registered companies, but now of course all of these things are veils again. You know, 
everyone is hiding the identity of the players uh, behind all of these deals that have been put together. Um, and empowerment can take place. Once empowered, always empowered. So you can you can uh, sell 50% of your shares to an empowerment company uh, at a rock-bottom price, and uh, then you can buy it back uh, at that rock-bottom price plus price plus one million rand. And, you know, for, for doing a day's work of putting their name onto a piece of paper, um, you can get some black people who can make a million rand in one minute. And uh, th that is supposed to meet the empowerment requirements of the country. Uh, that just doesn't, uh, that just doesn't uh, strike me. It strikes me as being a terrible con job. That's a terrible con job. Um, I mean, uh, there must be mining executives who, who are falling over themselves laughing at these things, and I'm thinking particularly of the big mining companies. They must be falling over themselves laughing. This is a great deal. Um, yeah, okay. Well, hopefully we've got something more interesting uh, coming up after the break. Please don't go away. We're going to go for a quick message from the market. You are listening to the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Yeah, going back to those illicit uh, financial flows out of South Africa. Uh, Parliament's Oversight Committee uh, had, had a hearings this week into finding out what is going on to combat these things. Treasury De Deputy Director General Ismail Momoniat attributed the commitment in dealing with illicit financial flows to the changed political climate. Uh, um, he said that a few years ago uh, when uh, the agencies came and reported to them, there was despair. But they say, well, they see that there has been definite uh, improvements in, in, in terms of monitoring and prosecution. He says, we definitely have a much more optimistic feel about what is happening. What we need is a strengthening of the initiatives underway. The commitment is there. The Reserve Bank Head of uh, Financial Surveillance, Elijah Mazibuko, Noted that between April 2015 and February 2019, 2.45 million rands in funds involved in illicit foreign currency transactions had been blocked and 941 accounts blocked, while 628.6 million rand had been forfeited. I wonder what happens to all that money. I suppose it goes into the Treasury a general pool of funds. Hmm. Anyway, uh, the, the, it seems the parliamentarians didn't uh, ask about that. The MPA and the Hawks, that's the National Prosecuting Authority, and the Hawks briefed the MPs on the cases they were dealing with, most of which related to the illegal export of funds, often in the form of cash uncovered at ports of, ports of entry, people smuggling money out of the country in uh, suitcases and boots of cars. The head of the Hawks, uh, Lieutenant General Godfrey Lebea, said about 137.5 million rand had been forfeited to the state over a period of about five years. Also pending were foreign exchange control regulation cases amounting to about 5 billion rands. Mm. Well, it'll be nice to see uh, if we can hold on to that money. But I would think uh, most of the illicit funds leaving South Africa are, are, are being done um, by the big banks and the big mining houses. Uh, I, I, I see here yeah, they're really like kind of concentrating on the small guys. Uh, so I wonder, is, is this a case of distraction or is it a case of uh, real focus? Hopefully, God willing, uh, things, will, things will improve in the years ahead. 
and well, this week, uh, Steinoff International Holdings saw a brief uh, 10% uh, increase in its share price, but that's all fallen away by now. Uh, that's after the, um, the Steinoff board announced on Friday, last Friday, that they had... Um, that they had received the PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, auditing report uh, in the, into the scandal that wiped more than 95% of market value capitalization from their share. And uh, people are still hanging around waiting to see what's going to happen. Um, I see that uh, um, there are moves to keep the, to keep the company running and not to break it up, Corbus Visa, the the um, shoprite um, multi-billionaire, uh, he says uh, that people say that he had uh, had any any dealings uh, that, that are under investigation are absolutely crazy because a few years prior to the crash, he had sold a whole lot of Pepco shares uh, to Steinoff. Uh, in exchange for Steinhoff shares. He says, why on earth would I take 4 billion rands of worthless shares on board? Uh, he says he would he would really love Steinhoff to buy those shares back from him, uh, but he says that's probably not going to happen. And uh, being the good businessman that he is, he says, look, you know what? Let's just get this whole ship floating again. Um, wow, I must say, that, uh, that, that shows... Um, a bit of stamina in terms of <clears throat> interest uh, from uh, Mr. Visa. I wonder how many shareholders feel that way. I'm sure they wouldn't want to like sort of play the whole game again. I'm sure most of them would just want to like to have their money back. But that's not going to happen. Um, on Monday, Steinhoff's shares were up uh, 10%. Uh, that's when the market opened. And they said, well, now maybe we're going to hear something. Then on Tuesday, we had those parliamentary hearings into Steinhoff. And uh, they demanded that Yunus Karim, uh, the head of the Oversight Committee, has demanded that the Hawks come and present him with a Steinhoff report every single Friday. Now that's the kind of like a close hand that we like to see uh, Parliament uh, exerting when you get an inadequate response from uh, your top uh, police investigating unit in the country. They only managed to investigate one trade the whole year. Uh, yeah, that's the kind of response. Okay, I want every Friday, I want to hear progress reports, progress reports. Uh, how that relationship is going to turn out, um, whether or not the Hawks are going to uh, follow it to the letter or if they're just going to fob Parliament off. Well, I guess we're going to be seeing tomorrow. Um, Stein of Shares are currently trading at 1 Rand 83 marginally below their Monday opening value of one rand eighty four. The overview of the forensic investigation stated that a small group of former Steinoff executives working with the executives at other companies, very often front companies, inflated the profit and asset values of the group for years. Steinoff has said the full fifteen thousand page PWC report is legally privileged and confidential which is probably um, a relief for uh, most financial journalists in the country. It kind of reminds me of the Brexit report. It's longer than the Brexit report. Uh, and when the Brexit report finally came out, um, you for days afterwards, you still had people appearing on uh, British television saying, 
Well, I haven't really made myself through the full report, but it seems that no one else has either. But nevertheless, people went completely crazy commenting on it, and um, no one really... I, I can't say how, how many people in Britain actually understand Brexit and, and, and what is going to be the consequences of Brexit. And, and uh, you know, they talk about technology is going to be able to overcome uh, cross-border uh, problems and... Um, uh, customs problems. Uh, I reckon technology is going to do it. It sounds like a, it sounds like an excuse rather than a solution. Um, nevertheless, the public seems to swallow it. However, you know you've got farmers around uh, the Northern Ireland border who's saying, "Well, now what's got to happen with our products? We won't be able to sell our products across the border in Ireland anymore. We're going to have to go and get special exemptions. Northern Ireland is going to have to get special exemptions." And if there are going to be problems uh, coming in through Dover uh, from Calais, uh, there's uh, a likelihood that if the Northern Ireland border has a soft border, that a whole lot of trade is going to be going into England via Northern Ireland. Already, um, there's been something like, a, I think it was £650 billion pounds, uh, of funds under management uh, have been transferred over to Dublin. So the Irish, you know, uh, as an Irishman, I'm like looking at Brexit, I'm just laughing and shaking my head, you know. Of course, I'm caught a Scot as well, and the Scots are also considering, well, we don't want to leave the European Union just because the British want to go and remember the good old days of empire and going it alone. It's like, you know, they're fighting the Bosch once more. Um, well, the Scottish don't want to be traveling along on that bandwagon. And uh, they're also saying, well, can we, could we possibly see Scotland breaking away from the United Kingdom in a few years' time, joining up uh, with, uh, with Ireland? Who knows, maybe Wales will break away too and all the Gaelics are going to get together. Yeah, well, <clears throat> what's going to happen with global warming? Where are we going to have our nuclear power station if Jeff Khadebe has his way? Uh, anyway, uh, getting back to Steinhoff, Steinhoff uh, has named uh, several uh, executives uh, who are involved with illicit deals. Uh, the man giving evidence before uh, Parliament this week, the Steinhoff chief executive, Lou Dupree, uh, said he didn't want to name the name, names of people impl implicated, but then uh, the Oversight Committee insisted that he do so. And uh, he named several names, Marcus Uyster, the former chief executive, uh, who's been thinking there's been the guy behind many of the dodgy deals. He, however, has denied culpability or uh, liability. Um, he departed v very shortly after the uh, revelations about the manipulated share prices. In fact, the board was forced to issue a statement saying that um, Many prices in previous years that had been issued in the annual results uh, needed to be restated. And uh, that was it. That was Steinhoff down the tubes. Uh, anyway, Dupria said that besides uh, Marcus Uster, there was Dirk Schreiber, Ben Lechranzi, and Stefan Hrobler. He named the other non-Steinhoff executives as Sigma Schmidt, Alan Evans, Jean-Noël Pasquier, and Mr. Romano. Asked uh, who had access to the full PWC report, he said he was the only person at Steinhoff who had a physical copy of it. Other people at the company have electronic copies that cannot be printed. 
Deloitte, the group's auditors, Vacman's attorneys, and PwC also have copies. Now, you know, that's really nice. Uh, Deloitte actually played a very active role in all of this. <clears throat> and Deloitte has played some very, very dirty games, <clears throat> excuse me, in many other in many other scandals uh, that have hit South Africa in recent years. And yet Deloitte is given a copy. All, all the guilty people are given copies. But the, the, the victims and the people who are asking what's happened with our money, they are being kept in the dark. Anyway, as a result of that, Yunus Karim said that the Hawks and the National Prosecuting Authority must report back to the four committee chairpersons every Friday on the progress of the investigations until May when the current term of Parliament ends. Well, Brazil has uh, been negotiating its uh, world ranking as an emerging economy. Uh, it wants to now... Uh, it's, it, is now going to be known as a developed economy. Uh, its self-defined state as a developing economy has allowed it to subsidize up to 10% of its agricultural output, whereas the limit for developed nations, which is the nation status that is now wishing to uh, be uh, taken up to in terms of World Trade Organization rules, they only allow to subsidize the agriculture by 5%. Uh, and I wonder to what extent uh, the United States is subsidizing its agricultural products because I'm quite sure that it's more than 10%. Um, uh, but uh, it is now negotiating with the United States. It wants to forego special treatment uh, because it wants to maintain uh, these, these subsidies to its agricultural sector. Donald Trump has said in a joint statement with Brazil that they had agreed to begin a process to relinquish special and preferential treatment in terms of World Trade Organization in rules in line with the U.S. proposal. In return, the United States will back Brazil's bid to become a member of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, a forum for rich nations. And, and that's a strange thing, you know, because uh, South Africa is an OECD member. Uh, as, a, as a rich nation, but at the same time we're also an emerging market. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't feel that uh, we've really experienced the full benefits as, as a result of that designation. Uh, the Brazilian uh, Director General of Trade, uh, Roberto Azevedo, said that the United States have proposed new criteria to differentiate among a range of countries in the developing category which includes major economies like Brazil and China, along with smaller nations like Guatemala and Honduras. According to Azevedo, such criteria could include whether a country is a member of the OECD or the G20 group of nations, and we're also part of the G20 group of nations, South Africa, and whether its participation in total global trade exceeds 0.5%. Uh, coming out of the U.S. Fed today, they say that they've scaled back their projected interest rate increases for this year to zero uh, and say they will end the drawdown of the central bank's bond holdings in September after holding policy steady on Wednesday. Uh, the median rate projection of Fed officials compared with two hikes in the December forecasts, which spooked investors at the time. They thought, what, we're going to have two in interest rate increases in the coming years? Uh, that uh, knocked the dollar. Uh, so this is uh, going to boost the dollar then in the months uh, in the months ahead. 
Um, the Federal Open Market Committee uh, repeated January language that it will be patient amid global economic and financial developments and muted inflation pressures. You have to remember that the United States in February only managed to add an extra 20,000 jobs to the economy, which uh, which is like very close to falling back into recession again. Of course, you know, they need two full quarters uh, to be officially regarded as being in recession. But the Fed signal that it will keep interest rates on hold for the full year reflects concerns that economic growth is slowing, lower energy prices are weighing on inflation, and risk from aboard are dimming the outlook. Now there you see I smell a red herring as well as a dirty vested interest. Lower energy prices are weighing on inflation. Uh, you see they want energy prices to go up so that their inflation can tick up. Well, you know, if they allowed the dollar to devalue like the Chinese are always doing, they wouldn't have to worry about that, would they? Like here in South Africa. Weak Iran is pushing up oil prices and uh, we've got inflation which is on the up. United States needs to um, stimulate its growth and is unable to do so. Uh, they've got like close to 0%. Well, they've got a 2.75% interest rate, but whether or not that's the real interest rate that uh, uh, companies big companies negotiate with the banks are paying is another matter. The projections go further than the one hike forecast analysts had expected in a Bloomberg survey. They thought the Fed was just going to reduce it to one uh, increase this year. Now they're saying there's going to be none. According to Ben Emans, Managing Director of Global Macro Strategy at Medley Global Advisors in New York, this was definitely a dovish outcome and even a bit of a surprise. The Fed took out the entire rate hike scenario for this year. Reaction in markets confirmed, the, confirmed that dovish interpretation. Stocks paired losses, the dollar turned lower, and treasuries rallied. Traders lifted the odds on the Fed cutting rates in the coming year. In a separate statement today, so they're going to go from 2.75% lower. Well, if they do do that, then we'll probably have an interest rate cut uh, later in the year. Well, with their room, their room will open for our Reserve Bank to, to cut interest rates because uh, basically we, we shadow the United States. We need to keep that interest rate differential to get those currency inflows coming into the stock exchange, uh, people investing in our higher interest rate environment. Uh, and so we've got to keep our interest rates high so that uh, governments uh, and big business uh, interests are looked after. We keep higher interest rates, uh, our balance of payments are paid, government can continue um, importing all kinds of machinery as can uh, uh, private companies and uh, we, the ordinary consumer, are the ones who are going to be left holding the bag either in terms of high interest rates or if we don't maintain high interest rates and the carry trade goes away, then we're going to see our rand dropping through the floor and inflation going through the roof. So, yeah, um, that's, the, that's the ratio that we've been stuck with since 2006 when all of the rules on the stock exchange were, were transformed to, to allow this kind of trading environment to, to take off. Uh, after... After the slow shrinking of its balance sheet, uh, the Fed will likely hold the size of the portfolio roughly constant for a time. 
Um, so that's the drawdown that they're speaking about. Uh, the United States has issued more than $5 trillion worth of quantitative easing uh, money into the bond market and the stock markets. They've uh, recovered about $500 billion of that. That is something that the European Union has not done. The European Union has not started removing that money out of, out of the market. At least the United States has done that, but the European Union hasn't done that. Um, and the Fed says that will probably hold the size of that portfolio, $4.5 trillion, constant for a time. You know, um, they're not going to pay it back unless other countries start putting pressure on them to do so. Um, really, in essence, uh, the fact that they, they're having to cut back on this means that the intervention after the credit crunch has not worked. That's what it means. The intervention has not worked. Western intellectualism and the whole kind of like neoliberalism agenda and so on is unable to come up with a reply to what is very definitely a systemic problem that is running through, it is a thread that runs all the way through the United States, all the way through to Europe, all the way through China and into Japan. East to West is tied together. Uh, everything is slowing down and uh, they're unable to come up with a reply. I believe that the main cause of their problems lies in demographics. Their population's sizes have shrunk and they've got grayer and older and sicklier and unhealthy. They're not able to produce as much as they used to. Their productive capacity has been stripped away simply because there are so few younger people who now are expected to uh, see off the whole baby boomer generation into their retirement. That baby boomer generation is in actual fact um, bankrupting uh, pension funds. Pension funds having less money available or now don't have money that they can invest in the stock exchange. Uh, the, the pension fund money has always been a major engine for growth and dynamism on stock exchanges around the world. And with that money falling away, so stock values are starting to look around for where can we get money from. We saw as a result of that in the late 90s, um, brokers, instead of uh, approaching pension funds uh, to invest money in their shares, started investing pensioners to invest their money in the shares. And the pensioners facing uh, a massive, in fact, uh, back in 2006, it was more than a trillion dollars, a pension funding hole that they were facing, pension funding gap, as they call it. Uh, pensioners started cashing in their pensions and investing in surefire things on the stock exchange. So you had the whole dot-com um, bubble that came along, all of the IT companies that uh, had these hugely inflation valuations going to the stock exchange, suckering in people's monies, and then all that entire bubble popped in 2001. The United States then had to find another way of stimulating its economy, and the way it did that was uh, by throwing uh, loans at the low-income housing sector. Then you had the, the, the rise of ninjas, no income job or, or prospects. Uh, uh, and so uh, such people, like, you know, they, they, they would go, they devised a product called a variable mortgage, a variable rate mortgage that they sold to pensioners. 
Now, you go to a pensioner who's 75 years old and you say, we're going to give you a variable rate mortgage, okay? We'll give you this money to buy a house and buy furniture in your house and maybe a few groceries. And uh, you'll only need to start paying us back. You only need to start paying interest on this mortgage in five years' time. So the pensioner would look at this deal and say, this doesn't sound like a bad deal. My doctor's given me uh, three years. Um... I'll only have to start paying interest on this thing in five years' time. I'll take the loan. Uh, so many of those investors then uh, ended up dying before the loan matured. Or, uh, or the banks then found themselves having to repossess a whole lot of houses that now they're unable to take off their books. So now there's more than a million houses in the United States that have no one living in them. There's even more than a million housing starting sites, building sites, uh, that never reach completion uh, as a result of, of the credit crunch. And, uh, well, when that stimulus fell away in 2008, the United States immediately responded by throwing more than $1.3 trillion at the very banks that had caused the problem. That was TARP, as they called it, under, under Obama. Um, and then also under Obama, the United States Fed started its quantitative easing program. I can remember uh, Trevor Manuel came back from a meeting to discuss that whole plan, and he said he couldn't believe it. It was like a fairy tale uh, nonsense that he had heard. Uh, but nevertheless, you see, when a big player does it in the markets, like, say, the United States that has the dollar as a reserve currency, in uh, the savings of all reserve banks around the world that are used to now pay off trade deficits. Um, the United States is, is, is sitting with that dollar and um, it is now, you know, it's got all kinds of things that are helping out the United States. We'll have a low interest rate environment, you'll have a high interest rate environment and uh, the banks made promises to the government, you know, if they followed certain kinds of uh, economic policies that uh, that they would continue investing in the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. And, and, and that's basically bailing us out on a monthly basis. But can it last forever? I can't see how that can last forever. Uh, somewhere along the line, the banks are going to say, look, you know what, we can make more money somewhere else and they're going to take their money out. We cannot uh, keep a high interest rate environment forever. Somewhere along the line, uh, consumers are going to rebel. Uh, and we don't want to see ourselves falling into a situation such as we see unfolding in Zimbabwe at the moment. The consumer has been put under so much pressure with uh, the valuation of the dollar, with all kinds of uh, eruptions in, in that economy, uh, that, it's, uh, that basically the consumer base in Zimbabwe has almost completely disappeared in terms of understanding of what a consumer base is in terms of, like, say, an economy like South Africa or, you know, developed economies. Uh, so when that happens, there are no consumers to pay tax. There's no tax coming from the government. So there's no money to pay the military. So then the military then starts play, preying on the civilians, such as you've got in the DLC at the moment. They'll go into a tribe and they'll force the tribe to go, or a village, and they'll force the villagers to go and work in a mine that is now owned by a general who's just taken over a mine or has taken over a vast tract of forest and he needs all these trees chopped down and sent off to Europe. So he will just go off to a village and say, come, from now on you're going to be working for free for me 
in the, in the forest with the trees and uh, you're going to see nothing out of it. We're going to give you food every day and not a lot of it at that. And basically you're having a return to slave labor in Africa. And, uh, you know, an important bastion against that is a strong consumer base in your country. Uh, so how long are we going to be able to continue preying on consumers in our country remains to be seen. We've reached the end of the show. Jazakumullah for joining us. I hope whatever trading activity you got up today has been profitable and above all halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Rabbana ya Rabbana 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 Rabbana Yeah.